All right, welcome, everybody. I'm uh, so grateful for Andrew Martin. Great to have young leaders in our church who uh, set an example for us and just go all in with God 100%. Uh, well, glad you're here. And uh, how you feeling? You awake this morning? Yeah, good, good. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. Whatever your location, here in Waukesha, other side of the camera in Waukesha, or in Pewaukee, or uh, online. There we go. Uh, great to have you uh, with us. Uh, today's week number two in this series called uh, 100. And I want to begin today by telling you something that probably nobody else, nobody else tells you. I heard another pastor uh, teach on this, and I thought to myself, this isn't revolutionary, but it's really helpful and very insightful for, for, for me, helpful to me, and I thought maybe it would be helpful uh, for you. I'd never really thought about this before, about the big difference between standard of living and quality of life. Your standard of living is defined by how much money uh, do you make, how nice of a house uh, do you have, how nice of a car do you drive, uh, how, how nice of vacations do you uh, take, uh, how much stuff do you have. These things would define standard of living. Quality of life is much, much different. Quality of life is defined by how happy are you, how much joy do you have? How much peace, contentment, and fulfillment uh, do you have? How, how much stress do you feel? How, how much anxiety are you uh, experiencing? These things define our quality of life. Now, one reason you're probably not told uh, that these two are actually very different is because every day, uh, every advertisement, every marketing message that you receive, and you receive hundreds of these messages Every day, they try to convince you that these two are connected together. Marketing and advertising try to get you to buy into this idea that if I just increase my standard of living, if I buy bigger, better, faster, whatever it is that you want to get next, if I increase my standard of living, it is automatically going to increase the quality of my life. But here's what's funny. Here's what's surprising. That is untrue. And some of us know this. You, maybe you have a higher standard of living right now than ever before. You've got nicer things, nicer cars, but you have less financial peace than you remember having when you made a lot less. You, I mean, you argue more about finances, you worry and stress more about money because these two things are not uh, connected, even though advertising and marketing tells us that they are linked uh, together. And something I find kind of fascinating, interesting, is just how sophisticated marketing has gotten. Have you noticed this? Maybe you open up your internet, social media, and something you thought about buying maybe, maybe one time it's just popping up everywhere. It's over there in the corner, you know, of your, of your uh, browser. Has this happened to anybody else? And, uh, you know, maybe you Googled a, a washing machine one time, and now there's washing machines everywhere. And you start reading the advertisement, and it says, this, this machine will cut your wash time in half. And you start thinking, wow, I'd be more productive at home, and then I'd be more productive at work, and I might get a promotion, a raise. This washing machine would practically pay for itself. <laughs> but here's what nobody tells you is that uh, if you increase your standard of living, you know what? You can actually decrease the quality of your life. I mean, you can literally make more money than at any point of your life and have less financial peace. You can have many nice things, but the weight of debt, the weight of maintaining this lifestyle that you created 
uh, it can just rob your peace and, and stress you out. And this is nothing against marketing and advertising. If, you know, if some of you work in marketing or advertising, you know, that's great. You, know, you go after it, okay? Uh, you do your best. This is nothing against marketing. This is not your fault. This is our fault for buying into it. And that's why I want to take a little bit of a different look at this uh, today. Because assuming that you have a God in heaven that knows your name and loves you, and wants the best for you. Let me ask you, what is God more concerned about, standard of living or quality of life? Let me, let me ask it this way. Would God rather you have an awesome marriage or would he rather you have a terrible marriage but two awesome cars and exotic vacations? I think we all know the answer uh, to that, right? But I want to take this one step further. I want to help you uh, visualize it. This is a graph of, uh, of time and uh, money. And this is income, okay? And this is, this is your income line. Now, I know some of you might say, oh, my income's more up and down. Or maybe it's flat line. Maybe some of us would say it's decreased. Don't get hung up on that. This is just a hypothetical example here. Uh, you know, for, for many people, over time, generally speaking, income goes up. But because we bought into this idea that if we increase standard of living, we increase quality of life. Here's what spending looks like over time for many of us. Notice how there is no gap between income and uh, spending. Uh, you know, for, for, for many people, you make $40,000, you spend $40,000. If you get up to $80,000, you spend $80,000. If you get up to 150,000 or more, you, I mean, you, you spend all of it. You spend 150,000. For most people, there is no gap at all. Because here's what happens when we make more money we buy a bigger house, we drive nicer cars, we go on nicer vacations. And so as the income line goes up, spending just tracks right with it, no matter what our income level is. Eight out of 10 Americans live this way right here. And if you live this way, you know what? You have no financial peace. You just have no financial peace. That's why the rapper Notorious B.I.G. was right. He said, more money equals more problems. And there's some truth in that. Uh, there really is. You don't get to quote him very often in church. Uh, so here's what I hope God will illuminate in your life today. Happiness depends more on growing your financial margin than it does getting more stuff. Margin is the key to joy and, and fulfillment and financial uh, peace. Here's what it looks like if you, if you look at this chart over time. This is what peace looks like. No matter what your income level uh, is, you create margin and, and margin brings you peace. And that's why for some of us today, and I know this is very countercultural, but for some of us, lowering your standard of living, lowering your cost of living to have more margin is going to increase the quality of your life. You know, I know that goes against uh, the grain in our world, but that's part of what we're going to talk about uh, today. Now, for some of us, we're thinking back to last week. Last week, we talked about uh, tithing, and uh, we offered a, a tithe challenge, and we had just an amazing response uh, last weekend. We had 196 families and uh, individuals take the 100-day uh, tithe uh, challenge, and uh, that is awesome. I love what that says about the heart of, of this church. God's moving in our church right now where people understand that, you know, when you give your first and your best to God, he truly will bless the rest. But some of us think, well, you know, I made that decision, but tithing is going to decrease my margin. 
because I'm bringing that first 10% and giving it back to God. But that's not true. Remember we said God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100% on your own. So if you think about margin, margin begins where tithing starts. Because when you start tithing, you bring God into your financial picture and he will bless you. And that's the start of uh, margin. And God invites you uh, to test him with the uh, tithe. That's why we offered the tithe challenge uh, last weekend. And if you'd like to jump in on this, there's a card. looks like this. You can take it out of the seat back in front of you, fill that out. You can drop it in the offering bag later on in the service. And if you put your email on there for us, each week during the 100 days, I'll send you an encouraging email. If you're watching online, I think your host is going to post a link to an electronic version of this card. Now, what I want to do today to help us create margin I want to talk to you about another area of finances, because if we get this right, we will create a margin, and that is the area of saving, saving money. You know, if you take the Bible, and if I were to give you just a broad brush stroke of the Bible, here's what it teaches. Generosity is commanded. Saving is strongly encouraged. Uh, in, in the Bible, tithing is, is commanded. The tithe belongs to God, and saving is, is strongly in, encouraged. Now, now, some people will, will ask this question, Ben, is saving really a biblical concept? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. And so, you know, should I really save if Jesus said, don't, don't worry about the future, don't worry about tomorrow? Well, here's what I think Jesus uh, knew. You wouldn't worry as much about tomorrow? if you actually saved today. Proverbs 21 says, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. The wise man saves and creates margin. The foolish man you know, has those two lines just butted right up against each other. He just, he just spends everything that, that he gets. That's, why scripture, that's what scripture teaches. And that's why the big idea uh, today is that lowering your standard of living to save for tomorrow can increase your quality of life today. Lowering your cost of, of, of living um, can increase your quality of life today because it brings you uh, peace. Or here's another way to say it. When you save for the future, you get peace for today. So let me show you two reasons why this is, is true, uh, why, why you need to save. Here's number one. Saving creates margin for short-term emergencies. And short-term emergencies just come up all the time. You ever get surprised, you know, when something breaks down or you have an emergency? You know, I do. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be driving my car and I'm like, oh, no, my car broke down. I, I can't believe this, right? As if cars should never, you know, break down. I'll be at the mechanic and I'll call my wife, Marnie, and I'll say, Marn, this, this mechanic has the nerve to tell me that our brakes need replacing. I mean... You know, breaks should last forever, right? We act so surprised, uh, but we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, I've never heard anybody say, I've lived in my house for 10 years and I've never made one single repair. No, uh, short-term emergencies pop up all the time. I think Jesus referenced this in, in John chapter 16. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Accidents are going to happen. Things will break. Things will not go the way that you, will not always go the way that you planned. And that's why if you want to have financial peace, you have to develop uh, some margin in your budget 
uh, uh, where you've saved for some emergencies. Financial expert Dave Ramsey, he says bare minimum $1,000 in an emergency fund that you don't touch. And it's there so that when things break, when emergencies happen, you're not surprised, you're not caught off guard, and you don't have to go into debt uh, to pay for it. Uh, Ramsey suggests a $1,000 minimum if you have some consumer debt. When you get out of consumer debt, uh, financial experts recommend increasing this account to three to six months of living expenses. But we have to save for emergencies so that when things happen, we're not caught off guard. Now, we don't just save for emergencies. Here's another reason we, we, we uh, need margin in our budget. Saving creates margin for your long-term future. You know, if I ask the question, how many of you uh, would, would raise your hand and say, uh, I had no idea that I was supposed to save uh, for my long-term future. I mean, I had no idea that I needed to save. Nobody ever told me that I needed to do that. Very few hands would go up. Maybe a couple 10-year-olds, you know, we'll give them a pass on this. I think all of us know that we should save money, but many people don't. Money Magazine recently released a survey of America. Uh, They said one in three Americans have zero save for retirement. Many people just just ignore this reality. Let's go back to this chart and uh, look at... uh, uh, your income and, and, and your spending uh, here. And uh, all of us, all of us, somewhere in our future, we've got a big X where income will, will stop. Maybe because you want to retire, maybe because you get old and have some kind of health situation and you're not able uh, to work. But uh, income stops. Notice what spending does. Spending keeps going and it keeps going. And if you don't create some margin where you save for your future, this will, this will stress you out, and it will rob your financial uh, peace. And so listen to the advice that Scripture gives. And I think this is kind of funny because you might think that uh, Scripture, when it teaches us about long-term savings, that it might say, look to Solomon, the uh, wisest man who ever lived. Look to, look to David, a man after God's own heart. But uh, it doesn't do that. Uh, I think it's kind of funny. In Proverbs chapter 6, look at what it says. It says, go to the ant. <laughs> Look at the ant, uh, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. In other words, I mean, nobody makes the ant do this. The ant chooses to do this on its own, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Here's what the ant does. The ant takes a period of their life and saves because the ant knows what? They, They save over summer Because the ant knows winter is coming. And there is a proverbial winter coming for all of us and uh, where we're going to want to have saved money for our uh, future. Now, how much you should save is going to be individual to you and, and depends on your age. But here's the best wisdom I know to get you to 100 in your finances. When you take the financial teachings of Scripture, it all boils down to one simple plan. I'm calling this the 100 plan. It's also known as the 10-10-80 plan. Would you say these uh, numbers out loud with me? Ready? 10-10-80. I want to make sure that you get that. This is so simple but so helpful. Here's what 10-10-80 looks like. We give the first 10% because we want to honor God and we want to invite God into our financial picture. That's what I talked about last week. This week, we're talking about that second 10%, and you save that for your future. 
And then next week, I'm going to talk about living on that final 80%. You live on the rest. And if, if you'd simply follow this plan, it changes everything. But here's what I know about saving for the future. This is really easy to ignore. It's easy to put this off and say, well, yeah, I'll start saving someday when I have more money. But in reality, you will only do this when it becomes an emotional priority for you because your future depends on it. Dave Ramsey says this. I think he's right. He says, personal finances is 20% head, 80% behavior, 80% heart. You've got to put your heart into this. And so I want to tell you a little secret to maybe uh, inspire you a little bit, motivate you a little bit about saving money that maybe nobody has ever told you. And it might even surprise you to know that this actually comes straight from the, 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 the Bible. You don't have to make a lot of money to accumulate a lot of money. And uh, you might say, where does that come from in the Bible? Proverbs 13, whoever gathers money, look at this, little by little, makes it grow. Over time, small amounts of money grow and grow and become incredible amounts of money. Uh, For example, last year, the New York Times reported about a secretary who worked at a New York City law firm until she died at age 96. Sylvia Bloom was her name. She never made a lot of money. But for her job, part of her job, she helped... Uh, manage her boss's investments. And so every time her boss is invested, she would take a smaller amount of money from her secretary salary and she would invest it. Not even her family, not any of her friends knew this, that she accumulated $9 million in, in a nest egg. Yeah. And uh, she nearly gave it all away to a social services organization and a program to help underprivileged kids prepare uh, for college. You don't need to make a lot of money, to save a lot of money, because of one powerful word when it comes to com- uh, uh, personal finances, compound interest. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about this. You can Google this on your own. You're smart enough to look this up on your own. Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. I mean, it's amazing what it can do for you. But the sooner you start saving, the earlier you begin saving, the more that compound interest can can work for you. You know, let me give you just a quick example. Let's say that you're 25 years old uh, right now and you start saving at age 25, $2.75 a day. Now, that's like, you know, half the cappuccino budget for some uh, 25-year-olds. And let's say that you do this, this 275 a day for 40 years until age 65. That's $40,000 that you would contribute. But do you know how much that $40,000 or 275 a day would have accumulated as it grew with compound interest? Just with historic trends with mutual funds, you would have a little nest egg of $1.1 million. Just with your coffee uh, money. I hope you enjoy that cappuccino. Yeah. Now, I love something Andrew said earlier in the service. Uh, he looked ahead and said, you know, when I retire, I, I want to I be able to be generous when I uh, retire. What a, what a great uh, a God-inspired dream for uh, retirement and for a future. Compound interest is powerful, but only when you give the money time to compound. And so the sooner you start saving, uh, the better. Now, many people put this off and they say, oh, my circumstances are, are just too tough right now. My finances are too tight. I, I just don't have any money uh, that I can save right now. And that's why I'm going to take you back to our big idea, which is lowering your standard of living 
To save for tomorrow can increase the quality of your life uh, today. Living on less right now can uh, help you save uh, for tomorrow, which gives you peace and a better quality of life uh, today. You might say, well, how can I lower my standard of living? How can I lower my cost of, of, of living? Like, what could I do? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, because I've got some ideas I want to share with you, okay? Now, remember, we don't touch the tithe. The tithe is how we invite God into our financial picture. We don't want to uninvite God from our, our financial picture. Don't touch the tithe. But what are some things that you might be able to cut out of your uh, budget uh, to lower your, your cost of living, your standard of living, so that you can save for your future? Now, I'm going to start easy, and then I'm going to get uh, tougher. And by the time I'm done, I'm probably going to make some of you mad at me. And I'm okay with that. I don't want to make you mad. But I don't think it's my job to make you like me. Uh, my job is I want God's best uh, for you. So you ready? Let's start easy. Okay, how about this one? What if you did this? What if you stopped eating out so much and started taking your lunch uh, to work? Some people are like, oh, no, Ben. Oh, man, I don't think I can do that. Really? Dave Ramsey says the average family would save $200 a month if they did this. You put $200 a month and invested it with the miracle of compound interest, at the end of 20 years, I mean, you would have $150,000 set aside for your future just by eating out less. Now, we eat out some in our family. It's fun. You know, we do it some. We went out Monday night, and we went to this place that had uh, chicken wings. And, man, they were really good, and they had this, this sale on Monday nights, and I felt really good about the deal on the uh, chicken wings. But when I got the bill... It surprised me how much, we, how much I spent on soda. Yeah, and, uh, um, you know, everybody else got water, and so that tells you who bought the soda uh, right there. I saw they had uh, Sprite Zero, and I love Sprite Zero. And so I got one, and it was good. But a couple days later, I went to a grocery store, and I bought a 12-pack uh, for less than I paid for one, yeah, on Monday. And so next time, you know what? I'm bringing my own, okay? I'll show them, <laughs> all right? Uh, Dave Ramsey says the average uh, family spends $1,000 a year on soda in restaurants. That's a car repair. That's an emergency fund uh, right there. How about this next one? What if you made your own coffee at home? Whoa. Some of you are like, I cannot believe Ben said that. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, maybe what if instead of going through the drive-thru or the uh, coffee shop, you know, you made your coffee at home. I'm not saying cut coffee out, okay? I'm not that stupid. All right? I wouldn't do that. I'm just saying make it at, at home. When I go out for coffee, you know where I like to go? McDonald's, dollar, any size. I like their coffee, and sometimes I even buy it and make it on my own. The average family spends $128 a month on coffee. Um, how about this one? Call the companies that you have bills with, and just make sure you're getting the best rates. Shop your car insurance, your home insurance. Shop your cable TV your cell phone plan, your Wi-Fi plans. Uh, sometimes just by calling and asking, you get a better rate. Very often you can save money. My wife's really good about this next one. Uh, avoid, uh, avoid paying full price for electronics or clothing or home goods. If we're, if we're buying, we're buying on, on sale. We bought uh, cell phones recently, and we bought older models that were priced down, and they work really good. If you're willing to wait or shop around, it's amazing, I mean, the deals that you can, you can find. And, uh, you know, that'll create margin so that you can save. Now, let me get a little more radical, all right? And this is where some of you might get 
mad at me. What if you sold that shiny car uh, that you drive and uh, have a car payment on, and you bought a used, uh, reliable vehicle and got rid of that car payment? Throughout our marriage, Marnie and I have, have always bought uh, reliable used vehicles, and we've really had good experiences with them. The average car payment in America today, this is from 2017, is around $480 a month. If you sold your car, paid cash for a vehicle, and you put $480 a month into a mutual fund over 30 years, you would have saved well over a million dollars for your future. That's radical, I know, but that's, that's how you get to financial peace. Now, here's an even more radical idea. Let me introduce it this way. How many of you know someone not approaching retirement who decides to move out of their house, but they don't move to a bigger, more expensive house? They move into a less expensive house. Okay, can you think of anyone? Very few people actually uh, do that because the assumption is that we have to increase our standard of living to increase the quality of our life, but it can create more stress and pressure because now you've added debt and you've decreased margin. What if you actually moved uh, to a less expensive home and added $500, uh, $700, maybe more, to your uh, margin every, every month? Now, I know it's not easy to do, uh, because Marnie and I did this in 2017. We felt God leading us, and we moved to a less expensive house. And it was one of the best financial decisions that we have ever made. You know, my wife and I, we were talking the other day, and she said it was the greatest growth in financial peace that we have ever experienced in our life. And it also allowed us to give more generously to God's work. And, and I know that might sound radical, but 80% of people in America live with financial stress. And unless you do something different, you're never going to experience margin and, and financial peace that God wants you to have. Remember, your happiness depends more on growing your financial margin than it does getting uh, more stuff. And so I've got three uh, takeaways for you, Okay. Three takeaways. Here's number one. What is one thing that you could do today to create some financial margin? What's one thing that you can do today that would lower your standard of living? What's one thing that you could take out of your life? And maybe God's moving you to do something big, maybe something radical, or maybe it's something that seems small, but over time, maybe it's something really uh, big. I think God can call all of us to do something that would lower our standard of living and increase uh, your margin and quality of life. Here's a second takeaway. Automate what you save. I never, I never see, I never touch the money that, that, I, that goes into my savings account. It goes right from my paycheck into uh, my savings account. I never get my greedy little hands uh, on it. And uh, we do this with our uh, giving. It's, it's automated. I automatically give to River Glen twice a month. Before I see it, before I feel tempted to do something else with it, that first portion goes to God. Many at River Glen have found this helpful to do through the PushPay app. It's really easy to do. I think it really helps to automate what you save, automate what you prioritize financially. And then third, attend Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. This class will help you implement the 100 plan, the 10-10-80 plan. I'm telling you, this class, it will take you further and it will take you faster than you can go on your own. Next class is coming right up. It starts on Monday, uh, March 18th. You can go to the Connect Wall after the service 
if you'd like to find out more. This, this class will get really practical on how you can have uh, financial peace. I want you to hear from some River Glen people who have found peace through this class. Take a look. I didn't know how normal it felt to have all this credit card debt. I don't know that I really understood the value of money. We started asking ourselves more and more, what's truly important? You really do feel like you got a raise because you're just realizing where your money went. Every time I got a credit card, I thought, wow, they're extending me credit. I almost thought that they were doing me a service. I really wanted to take charge. I wanted the money that, that I made to work for us. It's made a huge difference just in our finances. It made us really work together. Our first objective was to pay down the truck payment. And I'm gonna guess it was six to eight months later, we paid off you know, ten dollars to $12,000. I have paid off over $18,000 worth of debt. We paid off about $55,000. Um, we're debt free now. It only took us a year to take care of that. Whether you have credit card debt or not, I think financial peace is a very good place to start talking. We're not perfect, we still have a long way to go. We still have a lot of things to check off the list, but the peace is unbelievable. It's a great class, we've offered this for years and God is changing lives, God is changing marriages. He's changing uh, families through Dave Ramsey's uh, financial peace. If you haven't taken it, hope you'll jump in and take it. For many people who follow Jesus, there's one area that holds us back and stresses us out. And that is this area of, of uh, personal finances. Uh, many years ago during the uh, Crusades, many of the mercenaries that uh, fought were hired from other uh, countries. And before they could fight, they had to get uh, baptized to fight in the Crusades. It was a terrible uh, war. But when they would baptize the mercenaries, they would, uh, many of them would take their sword and they would hold it up. Their body would go under the water, but they would hold that sword out of the water uh, as if to say, you know, I'm not giving this to God. I'm going to use this sword uh, to, to fight. And, and for many people who, who, who give their life uh, to Jesus and, and uh, demonstrate that through baptism, it's like we take this right here, you know, and we hold it out of the water. We get the rest of our body baptized under the, under the water, and we're saying, no, 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 not this area. I'm going to do it my way. And I want to challenge you that maybe you can make a radical shift to do your finances God's way. You might do them differently than most of the people around you, but I promise you, it will bring you financial peace. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for giving us uh, amazing wisdom about an area, an area of our lives that we all struggle with in one way or another. And I thank you that you wanna give us peace even in the midst of stress. God, I pray that we would take to heart this idea that lowering our standard of living can increase our quality of life. For many of us, God, help us to just embrace a different view than we're told. Help us embrace your word and how you look at things. We trust that you want what's best for us. God, I pray right now for those who 
might be really struggling financially. May you begin to take stress off their shoulders. May you begin to take anxiety away. God, I pray for students here, for those in their 20s and 30s, that they will adopt these practices now so that they can experience a lifetime of of your financial blessings. I pray that you will give us the faith, the commitment, the fortitude to take these courageous steps to get on the 100 plan in our lives so that you can get all of us, 100% of us. And ultimately, may we trust you, trust your word, trust your wisdom, just as we have trusted your only son to be our savior forever. And we lift these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.